I thank our uh, creative team for putting together that video clip. In, in the last number of days, that's been seen by over 25,000 people just in our region. And um, it, it's an important part of the messaging of this house. And you've heard me say this before, so let me reiterate again and again and again. I'm not anti-government. I'm not anti-political leaders. But my hope is not in the White House. It's in God's house. My hope is not in political structures or political outcomes, but in what God says to be true about the hour in which we live. And I know I saw this week, maybe some of you saw this as well. You see this June 30th. June 30th is apparently the new magic date. We're gonna go back to. I identify as June 30th for about the last 12 months. Here's the thing. I refuse to applaud a government for opening things back up that they never had any business closing in the first place. And so we've just made a decision. We're going to be who God's asked us to be in this hour, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time trying to explain it or apologize for it. And everybody's got a different opinion. Where two or three are gathered, thousand of opinions are there. You know, everybody got an opinion on everything. But we just decided that th this is the conviction that we have from the Lord. And just let me say something. <clears throat> the kingdom of God is not in eating or drinking. <clears throat> let me translate that to 2021. <clears throat> the kingdom of God is not in masks or vaccines. Meaning this, it's not a kingdom issue. It's not a kingdom issue. You, you want to wear a mask for the next 30 years? That's your business. It's not a kingdom issue. If you want to get the vaccine or don't want to get the vaccine, that's not a kingdom issue. That ought to be a decision that you decide that you make after the research that you've done. This is a no shame zone for people who make individual adult decisions about their own health. And guess what? It is not the government's business or any other person in this community's business, whether or not you get a vaccine or wear a mask. These are not kingdom issues. You know, somebody said, well, is the vaccine the mark of the beast? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> it's just, I'm just so tired of talking about it. I like to go the next 50 years of my life and never have to talk about the size and scope of the federal government's involvement and bureaucratic messing around in our daily lives. But it's the world we live in. And so hear my heart, I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not up late at night on weird websites, you know, checking out all the crazy things that are happening in the world around us. I'm just a simple person who's dedicated my simple life to a pursuit of the brilliance of Jesus. And so I don't have time to engage in debates and arguments about to mask or not to mask, the vaccine or not to vaccine. I trust you as an adult to make that decision for yourself. And uh, that's the, the position that we're gonna have. You know what is a kingdom issue? A kingdom issue is a government that has grown so big in size and scope that it can shut down churches, businesses, and lock you in your homes overnight. That's a kingdom issue. And so over the last 12 months, those are the things that I've lent my voice to speak against. It's not a Democrat issue. It's not a Republican issue. Because if I be honest with you this morning, we have seen the size and scope of government grow out of control under both parties. This isn't a left versus right issue. If you think the hope is in the Democrat party, you're dead wrong. If you think hope is in the Republican party, you are dead wrong. Our hope is in Jesus. And so I'm going to keep my eyes on him, the author, the finisher of my faith. 
And I'm gonna try to do my best to live in a way that honors the convictions that he's placed on my life. And you might be here this morning and you go, I see it differently than you. That's okay. You know why that's okay? Because this isn't a cult. And we don't all have to have the same exact opinion on every issue in life. Some of you, I'm never gonna get the vaccine. Okay, cool. Some of you signed up, you got all three of them on the same day. Great, fine. That's your business. So I'm gonna let you be you. Please let me be me. But let's be a church that unifies around the main things. And the main things is Jesus, his kingdom, and his priority in the earth in this hour. So when I make statements like I do on the video that you've seen, please don't think, well, Russell's anti-government or anti-certain political party. No, that's not my heart. I'm simply communicating what I think ought to be the ethic of the church in this hour. Someone somewhere ought to have the courage to say something and keep their doors open. We're going to be that church in this hour. Something we want to take some time to do uh, this morning is uh, to pray for uh, the situation happening in the Middle East, Israel and, and, and Jerusalem. 637 times in the Old Testament, the scriptures mention Jerusalem as a geographic location. If you think geography isn't important to God, it's because you don't read your Bible. Every person who has ever been born, including Jew, Muslim, Christian, and atheist are made in the image of God. And we should contend for peace in our world today so that people through war and conflict are not destroyed. This is not an anti-Palestine, pro-Israel, or anti-Israel, pro-Palestine. All I know is that God's people have been in that land since 1500 BC. And God's sense of justice is not connected to your community college level of morality. God's sense of justice is not connected to political outcomes. When Christ returns, he's coming to judge the nations with a sword. And I know that our progressive offended sensibilities will try to cancel him, but he will not be canceled. So if scripture says we ought to pray for Jerusalem, then guess what? We ought to pray for Jerusalem. And here's what I'm praying, that people in the Middle East would have an awakening to who the Messiah is and entire families and countries would be born into the kingdom of God. That's my hope. That's my hope. And this is the hope of scripture. And so we pray for peace. Why? Because where the prince of peace rules, his kingdom can come to earth. And so we need peace in the Middle East. We're going to pray for it today. Yeah, uh, I was telling Pastor Russell this week, and he asked me to share with you guys a story of a friend of mine who uh, some of you guys may know, Pastor Steve Carpenter. Yeah. He ministered here in this region for many years. He decided to move his family, really felt called to move his family to Israel about, I think it's 15, 17 years ago now. And uh, he decided to uh, go over and visit the land and take kind of a scouting trip. Right. And he went over there and he went standing at the wailing wall and he's watching, you know, the rabbis and all these people coming and praying and doing their thing. And he's standing there and he's still kind of questioning in his heart, like, what is this all about? So he asked the Lord, he says, why, why these, why these people? Why, right. are, why are they so special to you? And the Lord spoke to him right there. I love this story and it gives so much context for how we're going to pray and, and how we can view the nation of Israel and the, the, the national people. 
the Lord spoke to him and says, do you love your son more than your daughter? And he goes, well, no, I love them the same, but uniquely. And he says, and he had a baby on the way, and the Lord said, will you love your daughter more than your newborn son? And he says, well, no, I, I'll love them the same, but I'll love them uniquely. And the Lord spoke to him and said, it's not that I love this people more than any other people on the earth. It's that they're my firstborn and they will always be my firstborn. Wow. And I love them uniquely, just like I love you uniquely. And I thought that's so profound, especially in the West when we've got so many ideas and theologies that say, well, they're, they're out of here. Well, what did Paul say in Romans 9 and 10? He says, you don't, go, don't you go boasting against the natural vine. If the natural branch was moved out of the way so that you Gentiles, you wild ones could get in, how much easier for it is for the natural one to be grafted back in. Right. So don't go boasting against that branch. Right, right. And so for us as believers, we have an opportunity to pray into that family lineage that we've come out of, right? We've been right. grafted in. It's not that we have to bless them. We get to bless yes. them. Because guess yes. what? The Bible says when you bless Israel, the blessing comes back on you. Right, right, right. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. We honor you. Now we contend for peace in Jerusalem. We pray for peace in the nation of Israel. We pray for peace in the neighboring nations around it. God, we say put a hedge of protection around that city and around that people. God, we pray most of all that through what the enemy means for evil, God would somehow use it for good and that there would be a revelation of Jesus Christ all across the Middle East. It would be in Jewish areas. It would be in Muslim areas. It would be on people on all ends of the political spectrum. We ask for the Prince of Peace to make a way where there seems to be no way. And so God, we speak peace and we speak blessing in that direction. And we say, God, do your best work in that nation. We say an end to the violence. We call an end to the destruction. We call an end to the attacks. And we say now in Jesus' name, let peace reign in the city of Jerusalem. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen. Hey guys, welcome to week two of our sermon series, What Jesus Isn't. I, I want to start out uh, 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 this morning in Luke 9. It read to you a story of an interaction that Jesus has with two brothers, John and James. The apostle John and his brother James, they, they were called the sons of thunder. So that gives you a, a little insight into their personalities and, and their proclivities. But they were always these individuals who were just ready to go, ready to rally around anything that Jesus would ask them to do. And in Luke 9, they got a little too excited and Jesus had to correct them. And the Bible says this, now it came to pass when the time had come for them to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before him. And as they went, they entered a village of Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him. Why? Because Jesus's face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and destroy them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. 
For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, and they went to another village. Hear me. The primary emotional characteristic that you attribute to God becomes the primary emotional characteristic that you display. If God is primarily angry, it is no surprise that you are primarily angry. If God is primarily irritated, it is no surprise if you are primarily irritated. If God is primarily distant, you then will find your yourself as primarily distant. But what if God is primarily kind and good and loving and gracious and generous? Guess what I primarily become? Your view of God and what he displays essentially becomes the most natural thing that emanates from your spirit. Do you know that your spirit introduces you before you even show up? And Jesus is talking to John and James and he says, be careful what you're saying because you're not really aware of the manner of spirit in which you're operating. For I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but instead to save them. John and James were upset because the Samaritans were unwilling to engage in the public witness of who Christ is. They didn't care. So John and James say, just like Elijah did, we're gonna call fire down from heaven. We're gonna destroy all these people. And Jesus says, you're not aware of the characteristics that you are displaying from your spirit. Scripture says this, if your spirit is good, if your heart is good, if your eye is good, then everything that comes from your life is also good. And so we're gonna talk a little bit today from the book of Acts chapter 28. Uh, and I'm tell you a story of the apostle Paul written by a Gentile doctor named Luke, who's an observer of the ministry of Christ and a witness to the first century development of the New Testament church. And I think it helps illustrate this greater point of being aware of the spirit in which you are operating. Now watch what happens here in Acts 28. The Bible says this, starting in verse one, once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of that island were very kind to us. It was cold and it was rainy and they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. Paul was on a, a journey on a ship to go stand trial in Rome for the crime of being a Christian. And while the ship was traveling, the Bible says a great storm arose and it shipwrecked them near the island of Malta. So Paul and the rest of the prisoners and the guards who were sent to get him are now floating in the ocean, swimming towards the island of Malta as their ship has been shipwrecked and they're looking for safety. The Bible says this, the people of the island were very kind. It was cold and rainy. So they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. And as Paul gathered, watch, an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. Friend, let me start here this morning. You can't pray for the fire and then complain about the snakes. Heat always has a way of driving out what is poisonous. Watch what the apostle John says in 1 John 2. He's writing the churches in Asia Minor. He says, dear, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have already come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. 
Here's what I feel like the Spirit of God would be saying to us this morning. Some of us have been wasting time, energy, and emotion trying to befriend snakes that Christ has exposed. And when God exposes the poison, don't keep drinking it. Make a decision to move on. See, God uses heat to help you see the difference between those who belong in your story and those who don't. God uses heat to drive out impurities from your life. God uses heat to temper your resolve. And finally, God uses heat to expose what has always been true. The Apostle Paul is on the island of Malta. The islanders have started a fire for them. Paul gathers sticks, is bringing them to the fire, and all of a sudden, the Bible says a snake, some translations say a viper, jumps out of the pile of sticks and bites him on the hand. It's interesting to me that Paul doesn't get bit until he decides to build. And what I've found to be true about the Christian life is as soon as you stand for something, get involved in helping build something, get off of the sidelines of your faith and into a mode of being a contributor and a builder, that's when you face resistance that you never knew existed. And just by virtue of you being here this morning, you are sitting in a church that has committed itself not to be victims of the world around us, but to take territory for the kingdom of God. In fact, scripture says this, the kingdom of God suffereth violence, so therefore the violent watch must now take it by force. You have been invited into an ever-active, ever-growing kingdom in conflict. And the scripture says the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our God and of our king and to the increase of his government and his peace, there is no end. Which means the church has a mandate to be attached to an ever increasing governmental mandate to rule and reign in the earth. And in doing so, bring heaven to earth, his kingdom come, his will be done in our reality, even as it's being done in his reality. And the apostle Paul is facing the bite of a viper. And, and, and it tells me a few things. Some snakes come from you, but others come to you, but no life is exempt from poison. It's once you decide to say something, stand for something, be something, do something, that you become a target for the culture to bite. And you know, builders will experience biting, but that's the price we pay to be a part of stoking the fire. In fact, I don't trust people who haven't experienced hardship. Every man or woman who I know is doing something for the Lord has the marks to prove it. Man, I was, I was bit. Man, I was, I was attacked. Man, somebody came for me. There's a price that I've paid. There's a cost that's been exacted from my life. There is something that I've given up. People who have walked with the Lord not long enough, their life is marked by things that have happened to them that didn't get to be a part of their identity going forward. Now watch, when G David tells uh, 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 his story about the faithfulness of God, he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For even this God that I serve makes a table for me in front of my enemies. If you want God to give you a seat of influence, it will necessitate that it happens in front of people who are opposed to the message that you're bringing. 
David says, God makes a table for me. I am most at rest, even when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, standing in front of my enemies. No Christian gets this far in their Christian life without the marks to prove that they have stood faithful in a time of testing and in a time of temptation. Watch what happens in verse four. The people of the island saw the snake hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. In a matter of two verses, the people go from very kind and welcoming to Paul's a murderer and will not escape justice. It's almost as if the fanfare of the crowd should not be what you build your life upon. What I've found is as long as you're saying what people want you to say, talking about everybody else's sin instead of theirs, challenging everyone else's narrative except theirs. You're their favorite pastor, but as soon as you disagree with one of their opinions, challenge one of their idols, or confront one of their sins, you go from very kind and welcoming to a murderer who will not escape justice, sometimes overnight. Over the last number of months, I have gotten all kinds of emails and text messages and DMs from all sorts of people. And some of them read like, hey, pastor, we're behind you. We support you. We're praying for you. And others of them, they carry the most odd combination of cuss words and insults that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> and what I've found is two things. Number one, we live in a generation where people are offended by everything except sin. Number two, people weaponize their offense. They point it in your direction as soon as you say something that disagrees with the idol that they bow at. As long as you were talking about all of those other sins, but don't mention mine. As long as you were talking about every other, everybody else's political opinions, but please don't talk about mine. And all of a sudden, when you begin to touch on something that's working in their heart or working in their life, you go from very kind and welcoming to crucify him and give us Barabbas. <laughs> and what I found is it's so important for us to detach ourselves, number one, from the approval of the crowd, and number two, from the fear of man. Because if those things rule your life, you will live your entire life gaining man's approval but missing God's. And when God gives you approval, when God speaks identity over your life, it causes you to stand. And after you've done everything to stand, continue to stand. Why? Because what God is doing inside of you will always be more powerful than what the world tries to do against you. That's why scripture says that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. You are a part of a kingdom that's in conflict. You are a part of a church community that is in conflict. Conflict is the price that you pay to be a part of an advancing army in the Northwest. You could go a lot of other places, sit in a lot of other pews, hear a lot of other messages and never face conflict, but we owe the world an encounter with God. And so if the price is conflict, I'll pay it every day of the week. Watch, verse five, here's what I love. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. Paul's moving sticks. He's a builder. He's helping stoke fire on the island. All of a sudden, a viper jumps out of the bramble, attaches itself to his arm. All of a sudden, the islanders are making a determination about his character based on something that's happening in an exterior setting. My God, if there is one thing true about the world we live in today, is people who want to make judgments about your character, not because they know you, but because of what they observe from afar. 
He's a murderer and he's going to get justice. But Paul shakes off that snake. And the Bible says he was unharmed. Watch. Scripture says this. No weapon formed against you will prosper. It doesn't say weapons won't form. It says when they form, they won't prosper in your life. But watch. What if the key to a weapon not prospering that's come against you is your response when you get bit by vipers around you? What if you have a part to play in whether or not that weapon prospers in your life? What if you can get hurt without carrying around a victim spirit? What if you can get betrayed without becoming an orphan? What if you can experience pain without allowing it to become part of your identity? What if you and I are going to experience just about whatever is normal that everybody else is experiencing, but what changes is our response? Hey, I got bit, but I'm going to shake it off. I can't afford to carry this snake around with me. I can't afford to allow this poison to impact my bloodstream. I can't afford to take this thing with me because it's not mine to carry. Paul shook off the snake. You got to learn the art of shaking stuff off. If you don't shake it off, you end up carrying it around. And if you end up carrying it around pretty soon, that thing begins to impact your identity. Paul was unharmed. It's what I do after I've been hurt. That determines how long I'm going to stay in my pain. Paul shook off the snake. So I think sometimes we've uh, uh, not learned uh, the lessons that pain teaches. Pain is the most significant teacher in Christological development. And God often works through the avenue of difficulty, pain, misfortune, and difficult circumstances in order to develop the deep things of our heart. I didn't say he caused it. I said he uses it. Hear the difference. God caused my sickness. No, God used my sickness. God caused my pain. No, God used my pain. No, God caused my dysfunction. No, God used my dysfunction. God has used everything the enemy has meant for evil, and God has used it for my good. See, it's my attitude and my response to God after I've been hurt that signals to him whether or not he can use that thing in my life. Some of us wave our pain around like a banner. It becomes our primary identity. Everywhere we go, we tell people about all of the things that others have done to us. What if today was the day where you stopped talking about what everybody else has done to you and you started talking about what God has done for you? What if? How would that dialogue change your spiritual reality? Now watch what happens. This is so interesting. Paul shook this off. The people, verse 6, waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. I love this. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. <laughs> These people. Ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. In six verses... In six verses, Paul has gone from being viewed as kind to being viewed as a murderer to now being viewed as a God. But our identity comes from the Lord. And if you're waiting for the world to tell you who you are, friend, you're in a dangerous place. See, the world is waiting for the church to drop dead. And it's our stubborn refusal to do so that becomes our loudest testimony. Y'all got bit. How's the church going to respond? 
They're going to shrivel up and die. They're going to go into a cave and ask God to take them home. They're going to become victims of all of their circumstances. Talk about how poor me they are. Develop a sob story every Sunday. See, the church got bit by some vipers. And while the world waited for us to swell up and die, we grew in strength and in faith. It's my encouragement for you today to not allow the ever-changing opinion of the crowd to be the foundation that you stand upon. I have been more loved this year than ever before, and I have been more hated this year than ever before. And what I've found is that those two things grow together probably for the rest of my life. And if we live addicted to the changing opinions of people or even the changing opinions of yourself, you know, sometimes you wake up in the morning with one opinion and by the time you go to bed that night, you got a different opinion. You ever argue with yourself? <laughs> Just give it time, you will. <laughs> and we've gotta be grounded and rooted in a higher reality than the ever shifting emotional vibe of the world around us. And one day you're awesome, you're just doing great work and you're paying off lunch debt at Emerson Elementary and everybody thinks you're awesome. And then all of a sudden the world faces a pandemic and you go, well, look, we're just gonna open the church and if people wanna be here, they can. We're also gonna broadcast online. And they called us murderers. And all of a sudden I went from a favored person in the community to a despised person in the community. But when my acceptance comes from God, the world didn't give it and they can't take it. When you've been approved by God, even when you've been denied by man, friend, your life is gonna be okay. And so for us, we just can't attach ourselves to the roller coaster. Some people do. It's like they lead via popular opinion. Let's all take a vote about what we're gonna do. Can I tell you the kingdom of God is not a democracy? God isn't asking you to vote on his sovereignty. He's not asking you to vote on who his bride is or what they're capable to do in this season. The kingdom of God's a a theocracy where he is theos, he is God, and we are his loyal subjects. And whatever the king commands, we're sure to follow. And for us in this season, man, if there's been one lesson that I've learned is that I gotta get my approval and my acceptance from him. Because if you seek your reward from man, you will have it. And that's not a good thing. In verse seven, the Bible says this, near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Poplios. I love this, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, the father of Poplios was ill with fever and dysentery. As it happened, it just so happened that the father of Poplios was ill with fever and dysentery. So watch, Paul went in and prayed for him. Laying his hands on him, he healed him. And all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. And as a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip that was ahead. Scripture says this, a man's gift makes room. I love that there was an entire island of people who needed healing that waited on the other side of Paul's obedience. And his obedience looked first like shaking off what the world did to him so it didn't become part of his injured identity going forward. 
Fred, you are not a victim of the world around you. I'm not trying to minimize your pain or say that you don't have a really interesting story, but I've heard it before. Pain doesn't make us unique. It makes us part of the narrative that God uses. It makes us part of the patchwork that God sews together for this purpose in this hour. For you and I, we've each got stories of things that we've been through, things that we've seen, things that we've done to people, things that other people have done to us. And if we allow the pseudo uniqueness of our pain to cause us to live as individuals apart from community instead of people who are a part of a broader story, we're missing out on the ethic of the kingdom. We do this thing together because one puts a thousand to flight, but two puts 10,000. Scripture says a threefold cord is not easily broken. We're stronger and we're better together. I can't choose what the world does to me, but I can choose the manner of my spirit. I can choose how I respond. I can choose how I react. I can choose what I do after I get bit. Some of us get bit and then we parade it around. Look, be really impressed with the size of my pain. I've been hurt by every other church I've ever been at and now I'm gonna try pursuit. Great, great. I've got prayer a thousand times and it never works, so now I want prayer from you. Great, thank you. <laughs> Look at my pain. Look at what everybody's done to me. Look at how wronged I've been. And I love Paul, in the context of one verse, shifts the narrative of an entire community. And Paul shook it off. I'm giving you permission today to shake those things off. I'm not gonna carry it with me anymore. It's not mine to carry. It's not mine to own. It's not mine to become part of my identity moving forward. I'm shaking this stuff off. You know what Jesus tells his disciples? He says, when you go into the cities and the villages and you witness, you're gonna come into some houses that completely reject you. And Jesus does not say complain about it for the next 16 years. He says, shake off the dust on your feet and keep going. Shake it up. Don't allow it to become part of your mindset. Don't allow it to frame in your identity. Shake it off and move on. Because where we're going and what we're going to is more important than what we are going through. So my eyes aren't a prize, the author and the finisher of my faith. Let me end here. Here's what I love. The Bible says that Paul lays his hand on the chief official of the island and he healed him. And then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed as well. I don't know if Paul had a specific gift for healing. I know the Bible records several miracles that he does. Paul's chief contribution to the New Testament church is not as a worker of miracles, but as an apostle who develops theology and foundation that the church builds upon. Some of you might've seen the sign, new sign that we hang on a building here. We just got this put up, uh, uh, I think last week. Can you guys put that uh, picture uh, on the screen for me? It says this, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. It's from Matthew 10. It's also repeated in Mark 16. It's also repeated in Matthew 28. It's also repeated in Luke 11. It's part of the commissioning that Jesus gives his disciples. I want you to notice what Jesus does not do. 
He does not sit his disciples down and give them individual spiritual gift tests to determine whether or not they have the grace to operate in healing or deliverance ministry. He simply tells them as virtue of following me as a byproduct of you being my disciple, here's the fourfold mandate on your life. Cleanse the leper, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. You need to know this morning that God isn't waiting for you to determine whether or not you have a gift. He is asking you whether or not you will walk in your authority. This is what we have as birthright because of our relationship with Jesus. There's people who wait on the other side of how you respond to pain. There's people who wait on the other side of how you respond to authority. There's people who wait on the other side of how you develop even in difficult seasons of life. Paul is on his way to face his final courtroom setting by which he will give his life for the gospel he so loves. And as it happened, they wound up on Malta. And as it happened, the chief council got saved. And as it happened, the entire island got healed. And as it happened, and as it happened, and as it happened, and you will have a whole lot of as it happens in your life as you continue to follow Jesus. And you're gonna make a decision every day and in every season and in every setting, how I respond to the pain of life. It sets me up for the success that God sees fit. Would you stand with me as we close?